Thank you, Gareth. And it's certainly a privilege to be here this evening. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to continue with our Explaining Easter series. We're going to be uh, reading a bit from the scriptures, and we're going to have a close look at the fourth person in the Easter story, Mary, which is the mother of Jesus. Mary is unique in that she is right there from the start all the way through to the end. And because of this, we're going to take a journey and go with Mary and see what she has to tell us so we can better understand where Mary is when we see her standing at the foot of the cross. We will focus on three phases of her life, the birth of Jesus, one story during the early ministry of Jesus, and finally at the cross. Mary is an astonishing young woman and is an example to us all. We can see that from Luke's account of the events around Jesus' birth, that Mary, despite her young age, was willing, obedient, possessed a strong faith in the Lord and his promises, was willing to take on risk, shame and sacrifice, strengthened by her trust in God. We first hear of Mary when she's a young woman, probably in her teenage years. She is engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, according to the traditions and customs of those times about 2,000 years ago. It was then when something unexpected happened. The angel Gabriel appears to her saying, Greetings, over-favoured one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary agrees to this, and the angel leaves. In that moment when Mary agreed and said to Gabriel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She understood that becoming pregnant with Jesus would lead to serious difficulties. In those days, the betrothal period tended to be a year long or longer, and it is clear that she would not be married before her pregnancy showed. And though the betrothed couple would not come together until marriage, Having sexual relations with anyone else would be equal to adultery. And so becoming pregnant while still being betrothed would mean being seen as an adulterer. Though in those days it is doubtful that Mary would have been in danger of being stoned to death, she would have been ashamed and she would have lived her life in disgrace. So who would believe her story? You know, who would believe that she still indeed was a virgin and the child was from God? It is clear that Mary didn't even try to convince Joseph about Gabriel's visit, or if she did, that Joseph didn't believe her. Because we know that he was a righteous man, and Joseph, thinking that Mary had been unfaithful, sought to divorce her quietly rather than shame her publicly. And so considering this enormous risk and the uncertainty of it all, why then was Mary willing? And the answer to this is in her response to Gabriel. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. It was because she was God's servant and she was the Lord and he was the Lord over her life. 
It's because of that reason she trusted him and she wanted his will to be done, even if it meant that her life would pan out very differently than she had imagined. So what can we learn from Mary from these first few events? I believe that much of what we can learn is captured in a response to Gabriel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. When someone gets married or has kids or gets a new job or, or gets a puppy or anything else, it is common for them to say, hold on, let me check with my wife to see if we have plans that evening. Or let me check with my husband to see if that's okay. Or wait until I contact my boss to see if this is possible. You see, the person is no longer independent. Now in their thoughts and their actions, they must consider the will of others above their own. When new opportunities arise or something good or something bad happens, their first thought might be of their baby at home or their husband or their wife or their work. So in their whole identity, there's been a shift. It is no longer just me, but is now me and my husband or wife or job or work. A similar shift of identity must have happened in Mary's heart at some point before these events take place. Because it is not simply Mary making decisions thinking of her own personal best interest, but was Mary the servant of the Lord. We can learn from her to view ourselves in the same way. We can also learn from her humility. We can see from Mary's song that she is emotionally aware of the measurable greatness and honor that is bestowed upon her. She was going to mother the Son of God. So what does she do? She magnifies the Lord. She rejoices and says, he is mighty and has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She rejoices in the privilege and honor that God himself has looked upon her with favor and chosen her for this tremendous task. She is humble as her mind is set on God, her savior and his greatness and what he has done for her. Her mind is not on herself or what position she might have as mother of son of God. Again, in her song, she calls herself servant just like before, and calls God her saviour. She gives the Lord glory and what he has done and puts the focus on him. Until now, we have seen how Mary was an example to us as believers. However, she still had her struggles along the way. She was human like the rest of us after all. On a few occasions, she just couldn't understand what Jesus was doing or why he did what he did. When he was 12, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus in Jerusalem and only found him after three days of searching with anguish and distress. Jesus was sitting among the teachers in the temple and asking questions. When his parents arrived, he said to his parents, why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? But Mary and Joseph did not understand. On a side note, I find it amusing that even at the age of 12, Jesus was already asking many questions which of course is a defining feature of the way he engaged with conversation with others when he was an adult. Um, we can see from this event that even though Mary believed that Jesus was the Messiah, it doesn't mean that she understood everything. And that will continue throughout her life until we reach the cross. And this won't be the only time, as I said, but so I want us to have a look now for a moment and read Mark chapter three, which is a low point in Mary's journey. Mark sometimes inserts a narrative between two parts of a single story, and this passage is one of those times. So I'll read now Mark chapter 3, verse 20, and then verse 31 to 35. Then he, Jesus, went home, and a crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, 
they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And then verse 22 to 30 is an inserted story. Scribes from Jerusalem come to Jesus, and they're saying that Jesus is driving out demons by the power of demons. They're not saying that he was mad, like his family did, but worse, that he was demon-possessed. And then verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they said to him and called him. Sorry, they sent for him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mothers and who are my brothers? And looking around to those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. To our surprise, we can see that Jesus' own family want to seize him and bring him back home. This would, of course, halt his ministry in its tracks. But why did they want to do this? The answer is in the text. For they, his family, were saying that he is out of his mind. So why does his family believe this? Again, the answer is in the text. The crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard... They went to seize him. Wherever Jesus went, people gathered to listen to him. Jesus and his disciples couldn't get a break. It seems to have been a common occurrence in Jesus' ministry that people crowded around him so that they couldn't even eat. Mary was concerned for her son. He was too busy and he wasn't taking care of himself. He couldn't possibly keep on going like this. Something had to be done about it. Mary's motive was probably one of concern for her son and his welfare. She still believed, but didn't understand what Jesus was doing. It is not necessary to suppose that Mary also suspected that Jesus had lost his grip on reality. Her presence with Jesus' brothers, however, indicates that her faith was insufficient to resist the determination of her sons to restrain Jesus and bring him home. For the brothers, on the other hand, there is no doubt. They certainly did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. It says so explicitly in John chapter 7. It seems clear that Jesus' brothers didn't believe him until after the resurrection. The brothers were therefore probably the ones that were saying that Jesus was mad and were eager to restrain him for the time being. Mark parallels this opposition to Jesus from within his own family with the opposition he received from the scribes from Jerusalem. Jesus faced opposition from those that should have known better. And against this backdrop of opposition, Jesus reveals his true family. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. We can be encouraged today that the privilege of being in Jesus' family is not something that we must be born into. On the contrary, his earthly relatives were outside of the house and were not invited in. And those inside the house who follow Jesus and who follow Jesus into the house and who do the will of God, those he calls family. Just like those gathered in the house, we are gathered here today this evening. And if you have given your life to follow Jesus and to do his will, you are in his family. That is all that's required. No payment, no heritage, no great learning. It is as simple as this. Instead of opposing him, listen to Jesus 
and follow him doing his will. And I find that very encouraging. And so we have arrived at the cross, our third look at Mary's life. And the past three weeks, uh, we have heard about Caiaphas, the high priest, and Pilate, the Roman governor, and John, the disciple. And we have followed the trial, the sentencing, and looked at Jesus and heard of John's eyewitness account of Jesus' execution as he hangs on the cross. And so I want us to read now a few verses from this account, John 19, 25 to 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Mary has been on a long and difficult journey up to this point. She's the only person to have been there right from the very start. And now it seems at the very end. I imagine that her family situation wasn't easy for her. On the one hand, she had Jesus, the Messiah, with all the things that she had heard about him and which she had treasured in her heart over these years. And on the other hand, she had her four sons who did not believe him and certainly were not supportive of Jesus. Were they now proven right as Jesus hung on the cross and was dying? As Mary watched her son dying, like the rest, she couldn't understand what was going on at that moment. Throughout her life, she had held on to things that had been told about her son, about Jesus. And these things she had experienced years ago, she treasured in her heart. And I have no doubt that these things and these words that she treasured in her heart kept her strong and kept her going and strengthened her faith throughout the years. But with Jesus hanging on the cross, dying before her very eyes, could they still even now be true? And even if they were true, and he was the Messiah, why was he dying? And what was she meant to do after he was dead? I don't know exactly what she was feeling or thinking in those awful moments, but we know that a sword was piercing her soul. And that's when Jesus speaks to her, and Jesus provides for her. As oldest son, the responsibility of caring for Mary lay on Jesus. As he hung dying, he passes his responsibility to John, his disciple whom he loved very much. But you might say, well, Mary had four sons apart from Jesus who could have taken care of her. So why does Jesus give her John? But we don't know for certain. Two obvious answers stand up. John was present at the cross and his brothers, it seems, were not. In Mark 7, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God in your tradition that you have handed down. Clearly, Jesus cared a lot for the honor of parents and caring for them. He calls the Pharisees out as hypocrites 
for not doing so. Jesus wasn't going to give himself up for God's work and leave Mary uncared for. He wanted to be sure that she would be looked after. And John was there when he needed to be. In that moment, John could be counted on when Jesus' brothers could not. The second reason is this. Mary was faithful and believed in Jesus and needed a fellow believer. It is in times of distress that we need someone who understands. John could be that person for Mary, and Mary could be that person for John. From that day, John took her into his home, and so Mary was provided for. I want us to just take one moment to look beyond these events and what happened after. On the third day after the crucifixion, Jesus rose again. Death could not hold him. What joy that must have brought Mary. Finally, things may have started to fall into place into her mind, and she may have started to understand some of the things Jesus had said. And more than that, Jesus' brothers came to believe as well. We read in Acts 15 that James was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a changed man. And though James wasn't there for his mother when he needed to be, years later, perhaps after seeing John's care for Mary, James writes these words in his book. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God certainly worked in the lives of Mary and her sons. I want us to draw out two points from this last section of Mary's life. Jesus provides at the cross. Before Jesus' birth, Mary sang of her God, her Savior. Now at the cross, the salvation is delivered. For any of us who believe in him, he provides salvation through the cross. He delivers us from sin and makes us right with God. And more than that, Jesus provides us with a new family. There are some believers who, in accepting Jesus at the cross, in a sense, lose their earthly families. I know of some people in Afghanistan or Pakistan, for example, who are kicked out from their family, or perhaps even chased to be killed. But this can also be true to a lesser extent. If we have families that, that don't believe in Jesus, and there's, there's, there can be difficulties there. And so I want those people in that situation to take courage. Jesus knows your need and can provide for you as he provided for Mary. And for many of us who don't have that worry, perhaps we should look out for those and pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who do not always have believers around them, who aren't daily surrounded by other people that believe the same as we do. The second point is this. Jesus transforms us through the resurrection and gives us new life. It couldn't have been easy for Mary as she believed Jesus was the Messiah and her four other sons did not. But at some point after the resurrection, the brothers came to believe. James became a different man and so did many of the disciples, all through the power of the resurrection of God and his work in their hearts. Jesus' resurrection power is at work today. It can transform our lives and the lives of those we love. And that's an encouraging thought too.
So we have looked at Mary's life in three parts. First, from the events around Jesus's birth, we have considered Mary's response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. We can learn from this to view ourselves as servants of the Lord and to take on the same humility as Mary did then. We then considered the time when Jesus's family tried to restrain him and, and to bring him home. Even Mary had doubts about what Jesus was doing and sometimes had difficulty understanding his methods. In that situation, Jesus speaks out about his true family. It is everyone who follows him to do his will. And if we do that, we are part of his family too. And finally, we have looked at the cross. Jesus provides at the cross. It is at the cross that he saves us from our sins and that we are forgiven. And more than that, it is at the cross that he provides us with new family. It is in his death and in his resurrection that Jesus can bring us new life and transform our hearts forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We praise you for his love and his power, that he can save us and give us new life. Lead us to a deeper understanding of you. During this Easter season, Lord, fill us with our hearts, with joy that comes from you and comes from knowing the good things that you have done in our lives. Make us be thankful for all the glorious work that you have done for us. And Lord, give us strength and a sincere heart to follow you with all our heart, soul and mind, to do your will and to be with you every day. Pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.